Thank you, Caroline, choir and orchestra. Well, we continue today in our series, the Sermon on the Mount. As I have said to you, I believe that to be the most powerful passage of Scripture in all the Bible, and so we're going to look through it. Currently, we are in the Beatitudes. It is important to understand that from the moment these words were uttered by Jesus, they were rejected. Uh, understanding the history at the time will probably help you understand why that was so. In 63 BC, Pompey annexed Palestine to Rome. So they had lost their independence at that time. Now Israel was under the authority of Roman kings, Roman procurators, and Roman governors. So they longed for their independence, and because they were longing for independence, they were looking for the Messiah. All of Israel was looking for the Messiah to come to free them, but they were not on the same page when it came to how that Messiah looked. For instance, the zealots looked for a Messiah who was a military leader. He was going to come and overthrow the Roman government, therefore giving them their independence back. The Pharisees, on the other hand, wanted a Messiah who would come with great cataclysmic miracles to force Rome to give them their freedoms. Maybe it would be similar to what happened at Sodom and Gomorrah. And there would be these great miracles that would take place and they would be given their independence. The Sadducees, on the other hand, wanted a Messiah to come who would restore their lost wealth. They had lost their wealth, and that's what they were looking for. The Essenes, on the other hand, wanted a Messiah who would establish a monastic kingdom because that was their belief. Now, at first, all of them believed that Jesus might be that Messiah. The reason for that is that there were great crowds that flocked to him. You, you recall when he came into Jerusalem the last time, that there were thousands of people who came. They bowed down before him crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. You remember the feeding of the multitudes and all of that. So there were great crowds that flocked to Jesus and there were miracles that were done. And so they thought, maybe this is the Messiah, the one who is going to give us our freedom from Roman authority. The problem they had was the teaching of Jesus. Now when Jesus came and he began to tell them, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. If someone requires you to carry their bag for one mile, carry it too. If someone slaps you on the face, turn the other cheek to him. When they heard those things, that did not appeal to them, so they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Because of his teaching, we continue to reject him today because he does not fit our desired model. For instance, uh, in business, one is not looking for a, an employee who turns the other cheek, not looking for an employee who is gentle and meek and certainly when it comes to athletics the coaches down at USC and up at Clemson and elsewhere are not looking for gentle linebackers they want someone to go in there and hit someone 
And when it comes to politics, we don't want someone who turns the other cheek. We want someone who represents the ideas and the ideals that we believe in. So they were looking for the Messiah and they believed at first Jesus might be the Messiah because of the great crowds and the miracles that he performed. But as they listened to his teaching and to the Sermon on the Mount, they decided Jesus was not the one they were looking for. Well, we continue today. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse number 1, focusing on verse number 5. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the gentle. Before I came in, I was talking to Melinda Timmerman, and she said, I see you're preaching about me today. And I said, maybe you don't understand the definition of gentle. So perhaps that's where we need to begin. What does it mean when the Bible says, blessed are the gentle? The dictionary defines gentle as mild, mild, soft, delicate, moderate. Vine says the meaning of meek or gentle is not readily expressed in English for the terms meekness, mildness commonly used suggest weakness. Vine says neither meek or gentle expresses the meaning of the biblical word. So then what does it mean? Blessed are the gentle. What does that mean? Well, let's look at it by saying what it does not mean. We'll begin there and then we'll go to what it does mean. So what does the term not mean? When Jesus says, blessed are the gentle, blessed are the meek, what does it not mean? Well, it is not a reference to a natural disposition. You see, some people by disposition are naturally gentle. Well, that's not so with everyone. For instance, Jesus nicknamed John and James sons of thunder. So not everyone has that disposition. Not everyone is naturally a gentle person. But what he is saying is that all Christians are to be gentle. So it is not a natural disposition. Some people are disposed to be gentle. Some are not. But all of us as Christians are to be gentle. It, it does not mean indolence. Some people think the gentle person or the meek person is someone who goes along to get along. Someone who doesn't rot the boat. Someone who doesn't cause problems. That's not what it's talking about. It is not niceness. Now niceness is a biological condition. Some people are just nice. You know, I mean I look out and I sort of focus on you when I'm preaching because I know you're nice. There are others I try to avoid because I know that they're not. But there are some people who are, who are just nice. But because you're nice, that doesn't mean you're gentle. It does not mean weakness. And many people think of the 
gentle person, the meek person as being a weak person. I love the story uh, about a little milk toast man. He went into a restaurant and and he ate and he put, his, uh, he put his coat on the rack and went in and ate. And after he finished, he was leaving. There was a, another man, a larger man, who, who was uh, leaving at the same time in front of him. And he came to the coat rack and he took his coat and put it on himself. The little guy looked for a while not knowing what to do. And finally he tapped him on the shoulder and said, are you Mr. Jones? He said, no. He said, well, that's Mr. Jones' coat that you're putting on. Well, that's normally the way we think of someone who is meek or gentle. Someone who is like that. But in the Greek language, this is a very strong and positive word that is used here. Aristotle understood meek or gentle as meaning the happy medium between two extremes. The happy medium between two extremes. Barclay wrote, it was Aristotle's fixed method to define every virtue as the mean between two extremes. Now, it's like this. Over here we have the spendthrift, and over here we have the miser. In between the two is the generous person. See, that, that was Aristotle's understanding, that there are two extremes and in the middle comes the virtue. So Aristotle then defined meekness as the happy medium between excessive anger and excessive angerlessness. So the translation then would be, blessed is the man who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. So when we're looking at this word, what does it mean? It means a happy medium between extremes. It means self-control. Barclay wrote that meek is the regular word for an animal which has been domesticated, which has been trained to obey the word of command, which has learned to answer to the reins. I grew up on a farm and we had cattle and horses and so forth. And you who were around horses, you grew up around horses, you know that someone had to come and break the horse. They would ride the horse, the horse would throw them off, they'd get back on, and after a while, the horse would become domesticated. You could now ride the horse. There is no less power in the horse. It is now just power under control. And that's what the word means. It is power under control control. For instance, I've told you about Tex, my dog who's gone to heaven. He's with the Lord now. But Tex was a wonderful dog. He was domesticated. He, he just did what he was supposed to do. I have another dog of the same breed, Blue. The Blue has not quite gotten there. I've sent him to remedial class two or three times and he's just not gotten there. I think maybe he will one day, but he hasn't gotten there yet. Well, the word that is used there means self-control. It, it, it means it, no less power, but it's under control. And then the word means teachable. One who is humble enough to be taught. Quintilian the Roman teacher of oratory 
said of his students, they would no doubt be excellent students if they were not already convinced of their own knowledge. Charles Spurgeon had a school for preachers and uh, there was one young man who was especially proud of himself, arrogant. It was his turn to preach before the class. So he bounded up on the platform and he started preaching and he just fell flat miserably. Whenever he finished his sermon, which had not turned out well, he sort of bowed his head and walked down the steps. Spurgeon said to him, had you gone up like you came down, you would have come down like you went up. You see, a meek person, a gentle person, is someone humble enough to be teachable. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. I hope you see the progression because when we began the series, I said that the Beatitudes are progressive, each one building on the last one. So intellectually, in verse number three, blessed are the poor in spirit, recognizes their spiritual condition. Emotionally, blessed are those who mourn. They mourn because of the condition. And blessed are the gentle speaks of the relation of this person. So I respond to others now. I recognize my own spiritual poverty. I mourn over my condition. And now then I treat other people with gentleness or meekness. I can give you some examples of it. Abraham and Lot, his nephew, were going to Egypt. And as they travel... Their families grew and their flocks grew to the extent that the land would not hold them any longer. So they're going to have to separate. So how would they decide who would get the best land? And in Genesis chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, Then Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. That is gentleness. That's what the Lord is talking about. Abraham saying to Lot, you choose. And if you choose the left side, I'll take the right side. If you want the right side, I'll take the left side. That is gentleness. Another example would be Joseph. You know the story of Joseph. His brothers sold him into slavery, but the Lord guided, and in time, Joseph became the prime minister of Egypt. There was a famine that took place. People are looking for something to eat, and Egypt has the grain. So the brothers, thinking that Joseph now was dead, went to him asking for grain. He gave them grain and said to them, what you did you meant for evil, but God meant it for good. That's gentleness. 
That's what the Lord is talking about when he uses this term. Moses was gentle. The Bible says in Numbers 12, Now the man Moses was very humble or gentle, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Barclay said Moses was no milk and water character. He was no spineless creature. He could be blazingly angry, but he was a man whose anger was on the leash only to be released when the time was right. You know the examples of Moses. Moses, the Bible says, was the most meek man in the world according to this definition. He was a meek man. Did not mean that he did not have passion. Did not mean that he was not committed to right. But it was under control. The Bible says that Jesus was meek. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, Paul wrote, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Vines wrote, It must be clearly understood, therefore, that the meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to the believer is the fruit of power. Blessed are the meek. Please understand, he is not talking about someone who is weak, power under control, humble enough to be teachable. Blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth. Again, the word there is emphatic, means they and they alone, and the gentle are blessed because they have recognized sin in their own life, they understand their spiritual poverty. And because they understand that they have nothing to commend them to God, then they mourn because of their condition. Leonardo da Vinci painted the Last Supper. When he was looking for a model for Christ, he saw a young man in the choir and he chose him as his model. Later, as he made his way through the disciples, it came to Judas, and so he was looking for a model for Judas. He went down to the skid rows, and there he saw a beggar whose life obviously had been hard. He was disheveled. His face was wrinkled. He looked like he had had a hard life. His name was Pietro Bandinelli. So da Vinci was going to use him as the model for Judas. And he said, you, you somehow look familiar to me. And he said, yes. He said, I was a young man in the choir who was your model earlier. Folks, I think that if you and I really understood what sin does, we would mourn because of our sin. Romans chapter one tells what sin does and one of the things is that it is never satisfied. I, I, especially for you who are younger, I, I want you to understand that you can get into sin but the hole will only become deeper. It will never satisfy. 
you take this step, and then that requires another one, and that requires another one. And in Romans chapter 1, it says what happens to us, as we get into sin, we go deeper and deeper into it, and then we end with a depraved mind. And I think that's where many are today. They have gotten so involved in sin that they have developed a depraved mind. And may I say to you that that sin will take you places you never intended to go. And you will stay there longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever intended to pay. When we get into sin and understand what happens, we mourn. God save me from that. So as I look at this person, he is someone who has understood his own sin, mourned as a result of it, and become gentle. They will inherit the earth. Had the Lord said after this they will inherit heaven, we would have no problem. But he said they would inherit the earth. That is a reference from David in Psalm 37, verses 9 and 11. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. The humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. The gentle person receives the protective care of God. The gentle responds with control over the situations in which they find themselves. And the gentle person is content with life. They have a contentment that comes from God. So the Apostle Paul tells us, we have these instructions, these principles, admonitions from the Scripture. But then we have to ask ourselves, is is that describing me? Is that who I am? So Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. So can we do that? Would you do that with me for just the next few minutes? Examine yourself to ask yourself honestly. Don't respond to anybody else, but to ask yourself honestly, does this describe me? Am I a gentle person? So I'm going to try to help you to do that. Because one of the clues as to whether or not you are a gentle person is contingent upon your attitude towards Scripture. You see, the world is offended by the Word of God. The the world looks at the Bible and reads the instructions and the admonitions of the Word of God, and the world is offended by it. But the gentle person receives and is corrected by it. James 1.21 says, in humility or meekness, receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. So one clue for us is your attitude toward the scripture. What do you think about it? How do you respond to it? Another clue is your attitude towards a sinful brother. The world condemns one in sin. You know the story about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and the religious leader stood there with rocks in their hand ready to stone her. And that is the way that the world oftentimes reacts to the sinner 
They condemn the sinner or they delight in the sin of the sinner. Now, don't make any expression, but let me ask you a question. When you're at the grocery store or something and you walk by and uh, you see uh, the Enquirer or the Star or some of that and some celebrity sin, do you delight just a little bit in it? Now, don't give it away because that's the way the world responds. The world condemns, the world delights, but not the gentle person. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. The gentle person is someone who wants to restore someone who has fallen into sin. Another clue is your attitude toward the church. The world sees the church as irrelevant and attacks it, but not the gentle person, not the Christian. Paul says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. Another clue. What is your attitude toward someone who is disagreeable? Someone with whom you do not agree. What's your attitude? The attitude of the world is an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But the gentle person? Paul wrote to Timothy with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. The gentle person deals with the disagreeable, not just condemn the person. So, let, let me ask you to think about it. Are you a gentle, does this describe you? Is this a gentle person? Are you a gentle person? I conclude when we were in Scotland some years ago, we saw the home of Sir James Simpson who discovered chloroform could be used as an anesthetic for someone undergoing surgery. He was lecturing at the University of Edinburgh and Dr. Simpson was asked by a student during the Q&A time, what do you consider to be the most valuable discovery of your lifetime? He expected him to say the discovery of chloroform as an anesthetic. He said, however, my most valuable discovery was when I discovered myself a sinner and that Jesus was my Savior. Jesus gives us these beatitudes. He said, we understand that we are a sinner, that I am a spiritual beggar. I repent of my sin and I humble myself before Christ to receive his forgiveness and then I am gentle in my dealings with other people. Our Father, I thank you for the instruction of your word, and I pray, Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts. I pray, Father, that it will not just be a, a sermon that we've heard, words that we've heard, but, Lord, your instruction, your expectation as to what we as Christians are to be. And, Lord, I pray today that you will take your words and apply to us that we might be more like Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.
In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to trust Him, to put your faith in Him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you, but I do pray that you will consider yourself in light of these Beatitudes. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing, you come. I'll greet you as you do.